Welcome to The James Quandall Show, the space where I have conversations with the world's experts and share how you can live your life to the fullest and build the life of your dreams. Today's guest is Dr. Michael Bruce, also known as The Sleep Doctor. He's the best-selling author of The Power of Win and Energize. During today's episode, we discuss the four chronotypes, the lion, bear, dolphin, and wolf, and answer if you should be drinking caffeine, and if yes, when it's best to do so. Dr. Bruce answers if your chronotype can change with your work schedule, your lifestyle, or as you age. Are you part of the popular 4AM Rise and Grind Club? If you are, you may be going against your biology, and it's setting you up for failure. We discuss how there's much more to sleep than just if you slept or not. You must also investigate the quality of the sleep you're getting. We discussed all of this and so much more during our conversation. So please sit back and enjoy the show. And send me a message with your thoughts at James Quandall on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe or follow and share this episode with a friend. So I think it's really important when you're having a discussion about chronotypes that you actually understand what your chronotype <laughs> is. And yes. so I think a lot of folks are going to be familiar with these concepts. They've been around in a, a long time, actually, oh, yeah. in different ways, like the hummingbird and, and many right. different methods. But I really like how you laid it out. And the first thing I'll say to the listener, maybe pause this and go to chronoquiz.com and find out if you're a lion, bear, wolf, or dolphin. And then this conversation will make a lot more sense. But we'll run <laughs> through those. But something that was new with this book versus your first book, Power of Win, which came out in 2016, was these power profiles. And so we'll talk about that too, because I still don't completely understand it 100%. But really, why chronotypes? Why did that become your thing in the first place? So it was, it was kind of interesting. So it all started with a patient, believe it or not. So I had this patient who came in and to be very fair, I wasn't doing a great job fixing her. Um, I tried everything. We tried cognitive behavioral therapy. We worked with her uh, psychiatrist and tried uh, sleeping tablets. Um, we tried all kinds of different things and it just wasn't working well at all. And um, so I called her back into my office and, and I was interviewing her again, thought maybe I missed something on the initial assessment, you know, dig deeper, like just try to figure it out. I'm kind of a dog with bone that way. And um, she turned to me at one point in the interview and she said, you know, if I could just live in a different time zone, my life would be great. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, if I, she was living at the time I was practicing, uh, she was in Atlanta and uh, she was like, if I lived on California time, she was like, my life would be great. Because I don't want to wake up until what's California time, 8 o'clock in the morning, which is really 9, 10, 11 o'clock here on the East Coast. And I said, well, why don't you talk with your boss? And she said, going to be honest with you, uh, my boss is going to fire me at the end of the week. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> she was like, I fall asleep at work. Like, true story. Like, fall asleep at work. My work product sucks. Like, this isn't going well. And I said, well, can I talk to your boss? And she said, good luck. Here's his number. So I called him. And I was like, hey, I'm telling you about so-and-so. I'm working with her. And he said, oh, she's a problem. And I said, you know, I understand that she's been falling asleep and her work product. And he's like, and he said to me, I'm going to fire her at the end of the week. And I was like, great, no pressure. I said, here's what, I, here's the only thing I want to do. Can she come into work instead of coming in at nine? Can she come in at 10.30, 11 o'clock? And she'll stay an additional two hours at the end. But 
can we just like move her, like shift her into a slightly different shift? He's like, you can try whatever you want. He said, but I don't think it's going to work. I said, no problem. So we do it. Friday, I call back up Friday morning and I'm like, how's it going? And he was like, I have three more people I want you to see. Those are the first <laughs> words out of his mouth. That is so cool. That right? is such a good story. I don't think I've heard you say that before. Yeah, Maybe yeah, mention yeah. it in the book. But I want to back up for a second because that investigation period that you described, the clinical phase, mm -hmm. that's not pretty routine. Like if you just go to your primary care physician and say, I'm not feeling well or I'm not yeah. sleeping well, can you help me? You're not going to get that level of attention. Why were you different? Like how is, how is your practice set up differently? Yeah, so great question. So I'm a sleep specialist. So that's all I deal with. So general practitioners, number one, they don't have the same training that I do. And quite frankly, I don't have the same training that they do. So we do kind of different things. I would also argue that because it's insomnia, it definitely requires someone who's had a specialty in insomnia. So my area of specialty is insomnia. So that's why I have a tendency to dig deep. Now for people out there, here's part of the problem is insomnia is what we call a door handle diagnosis. What we mean by that is when the doctor's got their hand on the door and they're walking out, that's when the patient says, hey doc, by the way, I don't sleep so good. And then, and the doctor's running behind schedule anyway. So what do they do? They pull out their prescription pad. They write off a prescription. They say, take this for 30 days and come back and see me. That's arguably the worst possible scenario for somebody. And that is by far the most popular scenario when people are going to their general practitioner. What people should do is they can, they can either call their general practitioner or when they go to see them say, hey, I'm having some sleep issues. Can you refer me to a sleep specialist? Hmm. Every single general practitioner, everyone knows a sleep specialist because sleep apnea, insomnia, they're very common. And so they're referring people to specialists all the time. Another way you can find somebody like me is if you go to a website called sleepcenters with an S.org, and we'll put that in the show notes. Um, if you type in your zip code, it will actually bring up within a 25 to 50 mile radius. Uh, sleep centers that are accredited by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. And what's interesting about that is if you're accredited, you have to have somebody on staff like me. Um, not every center is accredited. So the centers that are not accredited are not going to have a PhD clinical psychologist or a psychiatrist who's interested in doing this level of depth of assessment. And so you got to find the right guy or gal to be able to kind of get there. Also, to be really honest with you, I don't like to fail. Um, and, um, I was failing, um, and, um, I don't like to fail my patients. And I'm one of those guys who's just like, let's bring it back in and let's like, it's gotta be for lack of a better word, figure outable, right? Like, <laughs> like we've gotta be able to figure this out. There's gotta be a cause that's going on here that we can then understand more of and can kind of work through. And so that's really what I did with her. And it turned out that she was an extreme night owl or what I call an extreme wolf. Um, and so. It was interesting when we, I, if you want, I can kind of get into the whole chronotypes and kind of how I. Yeah, I would love that. But let's back up for one second. Um, sure. On that sleepcenters.org, are they all accredited or some of them aren't? So you have to weed through They're them. all accredited on sleepcenters.org. However, if you just went to Google and you typed in sleep lab near me, there's a very high likelihood you would get an unaccredited center. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with an accredited versus unaccredited, but at the accredited by accreditation uh, criteria, they must have somebody like me on staff. Okay. Now, in that scenario, describe if she moved out to California, 
mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily solve the problem, would it? Because she no, would eventually be on that timeline. Right, right, right. No, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? And then we'd just be moving people across the country and fixing their insomnia all day long, right? Yeah. No, no, no. It, 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 so correctly, you're, you're noticing that that wouldn't solve the problem. But what it gave me was a window into her thinking. And I was like, oh, she's, I know what she is. She's an extreme night owl. And we're just not seeing it that way. And now I have a whole different lens by which to view her and then develop a treatment protocol and then eventually be able to help her. Okay. So the traditional nine to five that we have in America (laughs) is modeled after the bear chronotype. If you're a bear chronotype, you're set up for success. Totally. And if you're not, you're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So, So what's interesting, and so for people who may not know what a bear chronotype is, For folks out there, let's break down what is a chronotype. So a chronotype is a genetically predetermined schedule for your hormones. And one of those hormones is melatonin, (laughs) which is the one that we'll be talking about a lot. And so, and and by the way, this is not new information, right? So if you go all the way back to hunter-gatherer days, right? Who were the hunters? They were the early birds. They woke up early, they killed the, the, you know, animal and they brought it back to the village. Who were, who were the, the middle of the day people, what I now call a bear, but what we used to call a hummingbird, right? Those were people that minded the village, watched the kids, built the buildings, that kind of stuff. Then who was the security force? Well, those were the night owls who I call a wolf. So there's, there's not a whole lot new going, I mean, literally since hunter-gatherer days. Fast forward to the 1970s and we started to create assessment tools, questionnaires. Uh, one was called the morningness, eveningness questionnaire. And uh, the group of uh, scientists that put this together did a great job, able to identify kind of the extremes, early bird, night owl. And then everybody that was left in the middle was what they called a hummingbird. And that's what you are identifying, or we both identify as a bear. And so what's cool about that is, like we were saying before, everything works on a bear's schedule. Like, honestly, dude, I wish I was a bear because my life would have been so much easier. But we see almost 55% of people turn out to have this chronotype. So it's it's one we should focus on for sure. And the other thing I notice about chronotypes is the work schedule that you have forces you into a chronotype and you may think that's your natural chronobiology when it's not. Exactly. So, so whether you're a shift worker and you're literally being forced into a separate shift, or let's say you're an early bird and uh, you know, you're waking up at 4 35 o'clock in the morning, but uh, you know, you don't have to be at work until nine and you're supposed to work until five in the afternoon and your energy fizzles by two because that's what happens to a lot of early birds, right? And so it throws people off. Or worse, you're like me, you're a night owl. Okay. Dude, people made fun of me everywhere. Like I never like I I was stupid. When I went to college, I had an 810 class my fr- freshman year. Like I failed. I never made it to class because I, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I was a college student. I certainly wasn't going to make it up at, you know, seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning. So when you're when you're a different chronotype than the main one, it's definitely trouble. <laughs> so what you're saying is for 45% of the population, they should listen a lot more closely. Because Absolutely. they need to change the, the natural rhythm of everyone else around them to basically fit their needs. No, what I'm saying is, is they need to follow their natural rhythm and then let everybody else follow their natural rhythms, but be aware of somebody else's natural rhythm. So let me give you an example. So um, as an example, I'm a wolf. I'm a night person. Um, and it turns out that my daughter is as well. And when I would go in in the morning, it was my job to wake her up in the morning times. 
Okay. And I would walk in in the morning and I would say, Hey, Carson, what have you got on the plate for today? And she would be like, Oh, leave me alone, dad. Right. And that, that was the extent of the conversation that I could get out of her. But if I went into her room on a Saturday, let's say at like 1130, 12 o'clock, and I said, Hey, Carson, what have you got on the plate today? I'd be in there for 90 minutes talking to her. <laughs> right. Because she's an extreme night owl because she was a teenager and she, she, her brain wasn't even functioning then. So the point I'm making here is I can have a better relationship with my daughter simply by understanding when hormonally she is available to me to have a conversation. That That's makes sense. really interesting when yeah. you start to think about it. When I started dating my wife, I was a wolf, I would say, because my shift when I was in my 20s was 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. And Oof. so I would finish working at 2 a.m., have dinner, go to right. the gym, and right. then not be able to fall asleep for a few hours later. And so I didn't yep. wake up until 11 or 12 the next day and repeat. So I forced myself into that mm -hmm. chronotype, even if it wasn't my natural chronotype. Right. But she was an early bird or a lion. Right. Complete opposites. Our Complete. first date. She didn't know it at the time, but we met up at like 7 a.m. at a little cafe for breakfast. And she didn't realize the sacrifice that was for me right. to be awake at that time. For her, it was a natural time. She learned that much, much later. Right. Um, but now we've been together for a long time. And I switched after I got out of that career and I had a more reg traditional schedule. I switched into a bear chronotype, yeah. which fit much closer with that. And here's what's interesting, like from a like now let's now let's go much bigger and broader, right? So when the pandemic hit, everybody had the opportunity to change their schedule and fit their chronotype, and almost nobody did. Okay, almost everybody decided to stay up late and watch TV, um, drink drinking. Uh, it was 18% increase in alcohol consumption, 21% increase in 23% uh, increase in sleeping pill prescriptions. Um, I think marijuana use in the states where it's legal went up as well. And so what happened was, is everybody was like, it's a party, <laughs> you know, as opposed to I don't have to drive to work. So what everybody would do is they'd wait till the last possible minute, throw in a ball cap, hop on Zoom, say their camera doesn't work and, you know, be, be doing that as opposed to, hmm, I wonder how I could use this to my advantage. Um, and see if I could work within this because I don't necessarily have to be at work at 9 a.m. type of thing. So it's it's really interesting. I would argue it was the biggest social experiment we've ever had. And you're still going to be looking at the data from that for a long time, I'm sure. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's really impressive, too, when you start to think about it. But, you know, the chronotypes in and of themselves, I think, are, are quite interesting. So we talked a little bit about a bear. An early bird is what I call a lion. OK, now the reason I chose. So it's kind of funny as a funny note. Um, you remember back uh, when I published the book, The Power of When, we were in the publishing meeting with my publisher and we, were, we had these four different kind of categories and we were trying to figure out like, what do we want somebody to be, right? And so one person said crystals, one person said colors. I was like, I want animals <laughs> and I want animals that actually represent the chronotype that they are representing. But here's the deal, uh, James, it turns out nobody wants to be a porcupine. Uh, nobody wants to be a platypus, uh, you know, some so people, it seems like they want to be sloths, but I right, don't know. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so the funny part was, is I had to find animals that were inspirational and fit the chronotype. So early birds turn into lions who wouldn't want to be the king or the queen of the jungle. Right. 
Um, and these are my folks that wake up, you know, they can up as early as 4.30, 4.45 naturally, right? And they're humming and gunning. They're people who are interested in health. Um, they're usually making a list every day and going from step one to step two to step three, kind of almost militant in their thinking. They're the, they're the person that's firing off emails at six o'clock in the morning to people and people are like, oh shit, who's that? <laughs> you know, what's going on there? Um, that's kind of their kind of universe. But to be fair, it's not all fun and games. Like a lot of people say to me, oh, Michael, I wish I was a lion. I got a newsflash for you. Lions are not great socially. Like dinner in a movie is out. They've been up since 4.30 in the freaking morning. Like they're not interested in doing, they want to go to bed at like 8.30, 9 o'clock at night if they've been up since 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. So there's there's some pros and cons in there. We talked about the bear. Oh, by the way, early birds, 15% of the population, right? Wow, that's it. Yep, that's it. But lots and lots of people think that they're early birds. And I'll be also honest with you, there's a lot of people out there who are telling people, you need to be in the 4 a.m. club and wake up and start your day. I'm officially letting people know that's bullshit, okay? Mm -hmm. You're going literally against your biology when you're doing that. So you're going to fail and you're gonna feel like crap because you're like, oh, I can't get up at 4.30, I must not deserve it. I can't, I don't deserve that. Like I've had, I've literally had people call me up and be like, I read, you know, so-and-so's book who says everybody's gotta get up at six and I'm like, is that person a sleep researcher? <laughs> you know, do they know shit about circadian rhythmicity? Because I'm pretty sure they don't. And I've actually talked to a few of those authors and they're like, what? Like they don't even like, it's not even in their realm of understanding. So it's unfortunate, but if you know your chronotype, you can have all the positives if you just reschedule kind of your life. And that's kind of the interesting aspects of the book. And so the wolf is the night owl. That's the rename for the night owl. And that's me. Uh, again, another about 10 to 15% of the population or so. So not as big as you might think. However, the wolves are my artists, my actors, my creatives, uh, as it tends to be. Because think about it, when you you know somebody who's creative, right? And you say, hey, when did you get an inspiration for that song or that play? They never say two o'clock in the afternoon, right? Never. They say two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> mm -hmm. When yeah. I was smoking weed and talking with my friends and like, that's who that person is, right? And so under like, Wolves are risk takers. They're night people. They are very social people. Usually, um, they're they're an interesting group. Very loyal friends, but they don't show up at your party until eleven thirty at night, and they'll be there till two o'clock in the morning. By the way, and help you clean up. That wolf. <laughs> what uh, comparing a wolf to a lion, just so I can understand. Yeah. You bet. A wolf's prime time brain functioning time is when? Is that like two in the morning? When so here's so here's a general way to look at it. And to be fair, there are individual differences. Like I told you, my patient was an extreme night owl. This is how I kind of look at it, is if you took the bear's kind of life schedule of waking up at, you know, 7.30 in the morning-ish, right? And then going to bed around 10.30. What you would do for a lion is you would do probably somewhere between 45 and 90 minutes earlier for both that and for a wolf, you do the same thing 45 minutes or 90 minutes later than them. So it's almost like a sleep cycle's worth of difference uh, it's somewhere in okay. between the two. And that's a general guideline as to how to work it. Now, to be fair, you as a, what are you, a lion, you said? I'm a lion. So you as a lion, we might discover that, hey, your best time to exercise is actually very early in the morning time, uh, but there might be some variability to that time. So it might be that you could exercise anywhere from let's say 6.15 to 7.30, um, you'd have a, a kind of 
we'd have to figure you out inside there type of thing. Okay. But as a general guideline, that's kind of how we think of it is lions are about 45 minutes to 90 minutes ahead of bears and wolves are 45 minutes to 90 minutes behind bears. Now, we haven't talked about dolphins yet because they're kind of a mess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, the so when you think of a wolf, oh, I'm super productive at two in the morning. That yes. may not actually really be their most productive time if it's only a shape of couple sleeping Exactly. Exactly. So as an example, what we really know wolves most productive time, generally speaking, is around six o'clock in the evening till about eight o'clock in the evening um, as their second level of productivity time. Their first level of productivity time has a tendency to be somewhere between like one and uh, three or two and four, depending upon, you know, again, what's going on, how much stress do they have, their nutrition, hydration, like there's a lot of factors that can get involved here. But again, as a general guideline, that's sort of how we think about okay. it. Okay. So in since 2015, I've gone from a wolf mm -hmm. to a bear mm -hmm. to now a lion. Mm -hmm. And really just the reason I'm more of a lion now is because I finally work when I want to work and when I feel like I'm the most engaged. And following your book and the quiz, it it had me like very close. I could be a bear or a lion, I would say. I identified more as a lion with the personality traits, which really helps. Yeah. And I did experimentations to where exactly. I was working at at 4 p.m. because testosterone, get, not testosterone, grip strength. There's a lot of things yep. that show better at four. Right. But I was always exhausted by four, so I never did a workout. Yeah, yeah. You're, you do not need to be working out at 4 p.m. Trust so me. So I started dude. working out at 7.45, and now I have the most habitual workout routine and the most effective one ever right. that I've had in my whole life. Yeah, and, and so what I would argue is you're either an early bear or a late lion. <laughs> okay, yeah. But we've had almost 2 million people take the quiz, and when you got – um, so many people, 55% being bears, you have to think, hey, there's got to be some way to categorize them inside of that. And so what we discovered is, is there are some people who are early bears and some people who are late bears. So some early bears like to get up at 6.30, right? Kind of interesting. Whereas some late bears want to get up at like, you know, 8.30, right? Even though they still fall into that bearish category. Whereas wolves, I mean, honestly, we don't want to get up until nine. Um, yeah. Unless... You start to get older and that's where you started to talk about this transition idea and so one of the things that we know is there's this this concept that we created called chrono longevity right and so chrono longevity is this idea that you actually go through all the chronotypes throughout your lifetime hmm. right so when you're an infant you're a lion right you go to bed early you wake up early, right i mean yes you're being cared for 100 of your needs but your schedule is one that is usually quite early when you hit that kind of two to three year old, all the way on up until five or six, you're a bear, right? You're going to bed at a reasonable time, waking up at a reasonable time. Everything's kind of, you're getting used to school, like that whole kind of socialization, that whole aspect to it. When you're a teenager, you're a wolf, right? I mean, think about when you were a teenager. Mm -hmm. What did you want to do? Stay up until two and sleep until 12, right? Yep. So, and then when you hit about 18 to 20, your circadian rhythm locks in. And it should stay for about 30 years. Then when you hit my age, which is 54, your melatonin production begins to slow down. And so you actually start to move backwards. So the reason why when you hang out with your grandparents, they want to have dinner at 4.30 in the afternoon is because their melatonin is actually earlier than it used to be. And so in their brain, they're thinking it's, you know, they're getting hungry. It's closer to dinner time for them at that point in time. So what I would argue is, 
when you first identified your chronotype, my guess is, is that you, you identified as the bear, but you were an early bear and then you started to transition. And now taking on that lion schedule actually turns out to be better for you. And to be very fair, like there's only so much I can do with 30 questions on the internet, <laughs> you know? So if I could do, but like, as an example, James, if, uh, if you had sent me your 23andMe data or your ancestry.com data, I can show you in 30 seconds exactly what you are because it's genetic. It's right there on your genome. Yeah, I did want to ask about that because I did uh, 23andMe and I've done a Perion Health and they do have okay. the SNPs called out for, uh, I don't know how they have it laid out, but it, it all makes sense without even taking a question year, which is really right. cool. Right, right, right. And it's and the science on this is getting better and better. And uh, you know uh, what's fascinating is now people are using chronotypes <clears throat> in lots of different ways to try to understand different things like health, right? And so as an example, we know that wolves, they don't have such great health. They don't have great mental health. They don't have great physical health. They're also really big into um, risk-taking, right? Which can have some problems with mental health and physical health. So like we're starting to learn more about the personalities of the chronotypes versus just the, hey, this is the schedule that my body kind of wants to be on. I will say that when... I did more writing and music type creation and more creative computer programming when I was younger. The in, I couldn't do it sometimes until 10 or 11 o'clock when the entire world was silent. And that was when I felt like I had the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was really lockstep with the best time, but I also know just like psychologically, that was when I kind of just had no more like willpower left. Like I, I didn't even fight myself. You know what I mean? Like I just did it. Yeah. And people will be stuck at the wrong chronotype for years for pushing themselves in one direction or another. School is a perfect example of this. Like when we look at high school kids, like high school kids shouldn't be going to school at eight o'clock in the morning. That's about the worst possible time for their chronotype to be going to high school. They should be going at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. We should get the little kids going early and then we should get the bigger kids coming later and staying later and let the little kids get out earlier if we really wanted to follow, you know what I'm saying? That makes Their sense. chronotypes. Yeah. So it's, it, it, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of mismatch or desynchronization for people. And so what I tell people all the time is, look, they, they call me up and they're like, Michael, well, I don't know what universe you live in. I've got two kids and a job. I have to be up at 6.30 whether I like it or not and I'm a wolf. What do I do, Right. <laughs> And so we, that's really the crux of how we really help people. And so we do different things. One thing that we can do for some people, if your boss isn't going to let you sleep in, well, then, you know, maybe during the daytime, take half of your lunch and you do a, a power nap because you're so freaking exhausted and it can give you a little bit of that energy back. And I can show you, you know, what time is good to nap for your chronotype to give you some energy, right? So we have to be kind of like MacGyver and uh, kind of work through and figure out a couple of different things that could be useful. Also, judicious use of caffeine. One of the things we know is late night people load up on the caffeine because they feel like crap when they wake up in the mornings and they're like, let me go. I, I got, you know, my boss says I got to be at work by 7.30. You know, I'm, I've had three monsters and two Red Bulls. Bad idea. You know, like it, you, the crash is gonna is gonna toast you. So I think every chronotype has the ability to improve. Um, and we still haven't talked about dolphins, which we want to, I want to get to. Um, but every chronotype has the ability to improve and follow, and you don't have to follow the whole thing religiously. Like what I tell people is start with your sleep if you can, 
right? And I don't make it like really difficult. I, I'm just, sl I slowly move your sleeping a little bit later or a little bit earlier. Um, and there's ways that you can do this quite easily. And then you start to see if you feel better, you know, and then look at your meal timing. Right. That meal timing is on is on a chronotypical schedule. Then look at your exercise timing. Like you just said it right there. Right. You now exercise 745 in the morning. And guess what? You're a lion. That's exactly when you're supposed to be exercising. And no shit, you're doing better. <laughs> and it yeah. And I, I still it takes a long time to rewire even your body's physiological processes. Yes, 100%. I, my body is still like what are you doing deadlifting right now at 745? Right. Usually you don't do anything until like noon. So there is right. like some rewiring time and some For discomfort. Sure. But I can tell just because it's so much easier to just do it, the willpower aspect, it's a more natural fit with how I'm supposed to be wired. And I, that's what I liked about the book, the chronotype piece, figuring out what you are, that's just 1% of all of this to right. me. The 99% is then knowing how to program your day and when you do things to get the most out of your day. And that's what I feel like you did a really great job of in the book of helping with that. Well, the, and that was exactly the goal was I kind of said to myself, like when we were writing the book and I was looking around, I made this huge clock on the wall <laughs> and I would write and I'm like, okay, like, I want to know what the best time that I should be doing these things is as a wolf. And you just start kind of plugging and playing. You start pulling up research. And by the way, we have over 220 studies in that book. And that wasn't my research. This is I've aggregated other I mean, from around the world research and said, hey, look, this researcher discovered that wolves are better at this during this particular time. And we kind of pieced it together. So we actually had four clocks on the wall and we were writing in, like every time a study came out, we'd be like, oh, which, which clock do we go to? And we'd put it in there and then we created this schedule and it's all based on real scientific research. So it's, it's kind of cool because you can pick whatever you want to do. So the way we developed the book is you can do everything from when do you want to talk to your kids to when do you want to have sex to when do you want to ask your boss for a raise? Um, to, uh, you know, when do you run a, write a book, right? Like there's all these unique studies that were out there that showed us the timing works really well. Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you're like me, you're probably staring at your computer, TV, phone, or other screens for a quarter of your day, or maybe more. At the end of the day, my eyes are often a bit dry, tired, and needing to take a break. That's why my friends at Fortify invented Fortify Focus. Fortify Focus is an evidence-based supplement to revive, rejuvenate, refresh, and protect your eyes from the damaging blue light emitted by digital screens. We talked about this product, Fortify, and what you can do to help your eyes and your body be healthy on my podcast with Dr. Michael Lang and Karen Hecht at quandall.com fortify. Fortify's products are carefully formulated with your complete eye and body health in mind. Check out Fortify Focus and their other products on Amazon and on their website, fortify.com. That's F-O-R-T-I-F-I-E-Y-E.com. Fortify Focus by Fortify. Check it out. It does work because I've tried to switch. I'm self-employed. I don't have a lot of meetings. I can schedule things when I want to. So I've nice. been able to jigger my life to fit this to where I do podcasts at a certain time of day. I do sales calls at a certain time of day, yeah. work out exactly. at a certain time, snack at a certain time, have coffee at a certain time. I've kind of figured out all of that. One thing that you pointed out that I just want to call attention to is the caffeination. 
and oh, yes. other stimulants, I'll call them, or downers like wines and things. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is if you put that in at the wrong time, you're going to be facing an even worse problem later in the day. And I think for caffeine, it's like a six hour or seven hour half. Oh, it's much worse. So, so I'm glad you brought this up. So as an example, one of the first things that I educate every chronotype on is when you wake up, whatever your chronotypical wake up time is, I want you to hydrate before you caffeinate, right? So there, there might be people out there listening who are like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. First liquid that crosses my lips is going to be caffeinated brother. Let me explain to you, I understand why you're doing that, but let me explain to you how to do it better and more effectively. So one of the things that we know is in order to pull the brain out of a state of unconsciousness, you need two hormones, cortisol and adrenaline both need to jack up pretty high to pull you out of the deep sleep that you are in. When you look at cortisol and adrenaline versus caffeine, it's like looking at cocaine versus weak tea in terms of how effective they are from a stimulation standpoint for the brain. So if you've got a brain that's got adrenaline and cortisol running around it, and the first thing you do is add caffeine, you're not doing shit, okay? It's really not having much of an effect. And most of the people that I talk to who say the first thing they do is drink caffeine, it's never one cup, never. It's two to three cups. Let me explain why. Because what you're waiting for is cortisol to actually naturally drop because otherwise you're not gonna ever actually feel the, the stimulation of the caffeine. So if you time from 90 minutes after you open your eyes, 90 minutes later, then have your first caffeinated beverage, your adrenaline and cortisol has dropped. Believe it or not, caffeine actually helps elevate adrenaline and cortisol slightly so you get a bigger bang for your buck. So number one, drink 16 ounces of water when you wake up and wait 90 minutes before your first caffeinated beverage. If any, if everybody out there just tries that, you will notice a dramatic shift in your energy because you're not going to get the crash. Because what happens is, is because you've got adrenaline and cortisol jacked up and you have two cups of coffee, the caffeine burns up and then you crash. And because the adrenaline and cortisol have now come down, you really feel it. And and typically in, in, in that cycle, that's mm-hmm. where you're having a four-hour energy or a Red Bull or something. Exactly. And it's only 11. Right. And that's not, not, not what you want to be doing. Hydration will actually give you more energy. And again, if you can wait that 90 minutes, you're going to be in good shape. Now, the other end of this is kind of the bookend of when to stop caffeine addresses the the comment that you made earlier, which is like, what's the half-life? How does that whole thing work? So first of all, let's explain what a half-life is to to your listeners. So a half-life is the amount of time that it takes for half of the substance to be eliminated from the body um, or to be no longer effective in the body, right? And so with caffeine, by the way, and that can change based on your metabolism. That's right. There's the genetic test shows you fast and slow caffeine metabolizers too. Exactly. So (laughs) it's based on age, it's based on genetics. So as an example, if you're 65 years old, it may take a longer time for you to get rid of caffeine than if you're 18 years old type of thing. So you got to understand how age affects it. Also, some people don't have the enzyme for caffeine. There's like a lot of different aspects. But again, general guideline here, caffeine has a half-life of between six and eight hours. So the bottom lower level limit, I would argue, is 2 p.m. You really don't want to have caffeine after 2 p.m. because that gives you till eight because most people are thinking about going to bed around 10-ish. And that way, at least 50% of the caffeine is out of your system. Now, listen to what I just said, bro. 
50%. So if you had four cups of coffee throughout the day and you stop at two, two cups of coffee are still wandering around your head at 10 o'clock at night, right? I would argue caffeine is the biggest problem that we have when it comes to sleep. But I also want to be clear about something else for anybody out there listening. Do not cold turkey off of caffeine, okay? That is dangerous. I've had two patients end up in the ER because they did this. This was a, one person was a pot and a half a day coffee drinker. The other one was a six monster drinker of those energy thing, drink things. And what ends up happening is when you go through serious caffeine withdrawal, like you can start vomiting, you can have seizures, like it's a mess. So I want to be very clear. I don't like people using caffeine, but do not just cut it off because you could have, and the, the headaches are insane. And if you have any proclivity for migraines, you're going to be screwed. So do what's called caffeine fading, right? Where again, stop by 2 p.m. Do that for two weeks. Then maybe you stop by noon. Do that for two weeks. Then maybe you stop after nine. Do that for two weeks. Like really slowly kind of get yourself there. And I think you should be, you know, all right. Here's another statistic that you don't know that's I just learned. The quarter life of caffeine. So when 25% of it is left in your system, 12 hours, bro. Oh, 12 my goodness. hours. So if, here's the bad part is if you don't stop drinking caffeine by like 9, 30, 10 o'clock, you still got 25% of it in your system. So there's people out there that have caffeine in their system 24 hours a day. 100%. And I also know I have friends that will, you'll be at dinner and they order a, a you know, an espresso after the meal at nine o'clock, let's say, and they say, oh, I have no problem falling asleep. And I go, okay, great. You have no problem falling asleep. But what kind of quality of sleep are you getting? There's not right. just like sleep or not sleep. There's there's yeah. multiple variations. Yeah. And, and that's a really good point to bring up is if you're so freaking exhausted, you can fall asleep on any, almost anywhere on anything, right? Like think about when you were young. I mean, you know, like you could fall asleep in a car, no problem. You fall asleep on, like when you're tired enough, you can sleep anywhere, but the quality of the sleep that you're getting may or may not be good. And one other caveat that's just kind of an interesting thing is some people, believe it or not, do not have the enzyme to digest caffeine. Hmm. So what's interesting is caffeine actually doesn't affect them, which I, I at first I was like, that's bullshit. There's no universe where that's actually real because I've never met somebody like that. Then I did. So the woman who takes care of me, my physician, she told me one day, she was like, oh, Michael, yeah, I, I meant to tell you, I have an espresso before bed, like literally in her pajamas, right? And I'm like, Carrie, what are you doing? I'm the freaking sleep doctor. Like, you can't do that. She said, no, caffeine doesn't affect me. I'm like, bullshit. She was like, let's, let's run the test. So we actually went and did the blood work enzymatically, and we looked for the specific enzyme. Turns out she doesn't produce it. So she was actually correct in that she can drink as much caffeine as she wants. Now, I want to be clear, that's few and far between. So folks out there were like, oh, caffeine doesn't affect me. That's probably BS. <laughs> what would be the genetic advantage for that type of mutation to have happened, do you think? You know, to be honest with you, I can't figure it out. Like, it seems like it would be something that would be a disadvantage over the course of time. Um, but maybe, you know, the, the only way I could think about it is if you looked at lineage and you looked at, like, maybe there was a culture where coffee and caffeine was something that happened every day, all day long. And so the body adapted over time to say, hey, whoa, too much in here and slowly started to reduce the metabolite um, over the course of time because, you know, maybe that, but that's a total guess on my part. Yeah. I will <laughs> point out for caffeine, my wife and I take one week off of caffeine a month. And oh, that's awesome. 
where we kind of let the receptors reset. And before yeah. we started doing that, we needed a lot more caffeine to feel anything. Now I just need a right. drip of it because yeah. everything's running smoothly um, yep. to where I don't need to over-caffeinate. And I think what that, and that is a methodology. I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a methodology that I deploy for a lot of patients is I, is, is because some people are like, oh, I like it or whatever. And I'm like, look, okay, fine. Just go decaf one week a month. Can you do that? Oh, sure. I can do that. Then they realize it's harder than they thought. Right. And so then we kind of get into that aspect of it, but it's also a more palatable way to try to understand caffeine. Now the, the opposite of caffeine is, is the other big problem, which is alcohol, right? So more people drink themselves to sleep than any other um, any other sleeping aid out there in the world, right? And, and we know alcohol is terrible for sleep. Yes, it makes you feel sleepy, but it just about obliterates stage three, four sleep, which is your physical restoration. So part of the reason that you get a hangover is because you don't get deep sleep. The other part is alcohol is a diuretic, so you start to pee and you get dehydrated. So so picture this, right? Here's Here's the ultimate really crappy scenario is you're out, you go to dinner, you have a couple glasses of wine, maybe maybe you tie one on, add a cocktail or two, you pass out because there's a really big difference between going to sleep and passing out, right? <laughs> you you Halfway through the night, you got to pee because every time you drink, halfway through the night, you got to pee, right? Which is disruptive to your sleep. So you get kind of crappy sleep from the disruption as well as from the alcohol. You wake up, you feel like crap. So what do you do? Drink a cup of coffee, right? So the alcohol dehydrates you because you're peeing, right? You, the sleep in and of itself is a dehydrated process. And now you just added a diuretic of caffeine thinking, okay, this will make me feel better. Dude, you're a raisin by the time it's all said and done, right? Like there's no water left in your body. So understanding hydration and the importance of hydration for the sleeping process, I would argue is incredibly important. It's difficult to get out of that cycle though. It is. Because I know even taking one week off a month, the first 24 hours to two days feels mm -hmm. like there's no color in life. It's like, why is color missing now? I don't have my caffeine. Like it takes some time for your body to adjust, not to mention the headaches the first few times you do it. Right. And, and then you go back. So weeks up and you're like, you get, for me, it's like, I get to the point where I'm like, you know, I don't even think I need caffeine actually. Time to reintroduce it. And so I have that first class and it's like, boom, color everywhere. Everything's vibrant. And I feel so like I can focus. And I'm like, this is actually a drug. You can really tell it's a drug. Yeah. And well, and if you think about it and you look at the studies on caffeine, what does it do? It improves focus. It improves visual cort. It improves your visual cortex. So like you see things better. like it's a stimulant. All your senses raise with it. So when you deplete it out of your system, your system kind of goes back to where it was, which is the kind of colorless, uh, you know, universe, which by the way, if you went actually two to three weeks without caffeine, the color comes back and all those things will start to come back over the course of time. Um, you just have to be decaffeinated for a little bit longer than, than the week. Um, then you kind of re-up, right? So it's that adaptation phase that kind of comes back in. Very similar to alcohol or marijuana or things of that nature. I will say um, a friend of mine says that, you know, caffeine is the devil. And <laughs> uh, and he actually proposes that. that you use ketones instead mm -hmm. as a fuel source if you need that. And I don't have a problem. I don't have. I mean, if you want to put yourself into a ketogenic state, right, or take ketones, 
right? But to be fair, like if I was going to do, like if I was looking for something that was that would help to stimulate me that wouldn't have a big effect on my sleep, I'd use L-theanine before I'd use anything. Really? See, because what I when I go back on caffeine after not having it for a week, that first day I actually need L-theanine to fall asleep because I'm laying <laughs> in bed, my mind's still racing with to-do list items. And keeping a journal and writing them all down doesn't solve it. So I go and take 250 mg's of L-theanine, and 20 minutes later, I'm gone. So if you take the L-theanine in the morning, it actually gives you a calm, cool, clear path. When you take it at night, it helps shut down your system. So it actually works in unique ways, depending upon where your hormones are going, right, during that period of time. Uh, there was actually a section in the book called, What is the Best Time to Take Your Supplements? Um, and that had to do with the effectiveness of said supplement, if you need it with food, if you need it, if it's lipophilic versus hydrophilic, so water soluble versus fat soluble, things like that. But yeah, we were learning again, still a bit of a learning process, right? I, I'm kind of one of the first guys out there to be like, we're going to chronotype everybody. We're going to figure it all out. This is great. And we could, we could go into a ton of examples of different enhancements you can make to your life just by knowing your chronotype. But I do want to make sure we do briefly discussed a dolphin because I know a lot of my listeners yeah. are um, a bit older and so they will be in that chronotype more likely. Yep. So let's talk about what is a dolphin. So that was really my contribution to the literature was I I feel confident that I found a fourth chronotype. Okay. Now, when we look at when you look at a chronotype genetically speaking, here's what you're looking for, something called a single nucleotide polymorphism or a SNP, right? And so when you look across the human genome, there's there's actually almost 40 areas where you can look at chronotypical types of behavior. The big one that I like and that most researchers like is called the PER3 gene or that particular area. So when you look at genetics, it, it's made up of four different building blocks. And however those are sequenced turns out to make you a chronotype. So if it's sequenced in one particular way, you're an early bird. If it's sequenced in the, quote, normal way, you're a bear. If it's sequenced in another way, you're a wolf. And if it's sequenced in a fourth way, I'm calling you a dolphin. And so let me explain to you what that means. So dolphins are my problem children. They make up about 10% of the entire population. And these are the folks that have difficult time sleeping. Um, they have a difficult time falling asleep and difficult time staying asleep. And they, they, um, they yearn for a longer sleep bout, even though their bodies just don't wanna give it to them. So they always feel like they're missing out on this sleep that they should be getting. And they watch their partner, they get really pissed off at their partners usually, because they're like, why does he or she get to sleep and I don't get to sleep, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of kind of that that goes back and forth there. And to be fair, my dolphins are a lot like my lions, but with a decent amount of anxiety. And that mm. seems to be the big, difference here. And so my dolphins are folks who, to be fair, they have a little bit of what I call OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, now to be fair, they're not, they're not diagnosed with OCD, but they have some of those characteristics like no project is ever done. I've keep got to, I keep got to keep working on it, working on it, working on it type of thing. Whereas when anybody else walks by, they think the project looks amazing type of thing. And so my dolphins are my high energy people. Um, but oftentimes they are insomniacs. Oftentimes they have some health challenges for sure. Um, they're fast talkers. Um, they're a lot like lions, very intelligent, but man, do they crave sleep. And it's just difficult, difficult, difficult for them to get it. What we discovered over the course of the last now going on five, six, almost seven years since the book's been written 
is learning more about these dolphin schedules. We really nailed it in the book, giving them an exact like do this at this time, do this at this time, do this at this time kind of day, because the structure seems to play a role and be very, very helpful for them because they get confused, they get anxious, and they're like, what should I do? It's like, read the book. Like, it's literally at seven o'clock, you do this, at eight o'clock, you do that. And what they find is those numbers may or may not work for them, but the structure, they can start to adapt the structure. Because what the goal is, is to start with the generalized structure of your chronotype. And then adapt it to yourself, right? Because everybody's got a few individual differences from whatever might be going on. And is there any logic to the aging population identifying more as um, dolphins because they don't have external constraints on their schedule in the same way where they're not being forced into a chronotype? Actually, in a different sort of way, um, what ends up happening with older people and they have a tendency to be greater likelihood to be dolphins, it's because they become more medically frail and they're on more medications, right? So as we get older, we have more shit that goes wrong, which means doctors put people on these medications. And whether you have high blood pressure and you're trying to treat it naturally or you're trying to treat it with the pill, either one's going to have an effect on your sleep, right? And so that's one of the reasons that we see that. So a lot of times we're looking at that. And then to be fair, as people get older, their anxiety definitely increases because they're moving more towards the end of their life. They're moving more towards, you know, medical problems. They're moving more towards, and let's be fair, financial problems right now for the elderly are through the roof. Inflation is extremely high. A lot of people are on fixed income. So they, you know, they set their life up to live a particular lifestyle, having a particular budget. And now, you know, gas prices are at $7 here in the, <laughs> you know, in LA. Yeah and all that insanity. So we definitely see a slightly older population in the dolphin category, but actually they have a tendency to move a lot into the lion category um, because they're waking up doggone early. But they still need just as much sleep as the other sleep. chronotypes. They're just not getting it. That's correct. Um, and so, with, uh, well, it depends. Are we talking about dolphins or are we talking about elderly now? Well, I'm talking about elderly dolphins, I guess. So elder, so let me give, let me tell you about elderly sleep in general. So when we look at sleep going like past age 55 and up, there's a couple of things that happen. Number one, melatonin production begins to slow in the brain. So you're going to start to want to go to bed earlier, right? So, and you're going to get up earlier, right? So I never wanted to get up before 7, 38 o'clock. Now, um, to be honest with you, I wake up like around 6, 15 naturally because I'm 54 years old and my melatonin is starting to change, right? And so I'm, I'm turning from a wolf maybe into a lion because of this change in my melatonin production. So that's one of the things that has a tendency to happen. But another thing, as we get older, the strength of our brain begins to change and literally the amplitude of the EEG waves begins to lessen. We actually, in sleep labs, we actually have to change the criteria of um, the, how we score sleep studies for people who are over age 55 because their, their brains are different. So is external melatonin in that case, is that a factor for, for something that wants to stay in their chronotype as they're aging? Absolutely. So there's only three instances where I personally like to use melatonin with my clients. Number one is shift work. Number two is jet lag. And number three is seniors, right? So once you hit that stage and we test your melatonin, all of a sudden we realize, hey, you don't have as much melatonin. We're going to start looking at giving you melatonin. A couple of things I want to briefly talk about in melatonin in our time that we've got left. 
Number one, melatonin is a hormone, okay? You wouldn't walk down to the local GNC and buy testosterone or estrogen, right? Because you wouldn't be allowed to. But for some reason, the government let melatonin kind of slip through. So you need to be careful with it. Many people don't know this. Melatonin will change the effectiveness of birth control, blood pressure pills, and SSRIs, which are anti-depression medication. So if you're taking any one of those three, which by the way, is like 75% of the population, you need to know that melatonin will change the effectiveness of this. And you need to talk with your doctor about it beforehand. By the way, your doctor has no idea what to do about the melatonin because they've never been trained in it. So they're not going to know what to do with it, but you need to start thinking about how that has an effect. Number three, most melatonin is actually sold in an over dosage format. The correct dose based on the uh, data that comes out of MIT shows that it should be somewhere between a half and one and a half milligrams. It's almost impossible, dude, to find something less than three milligrams. Like it's almost impossible. Um, the final thing I want to tell people is melatonin is not for children, period. End of, this is a hormone. Like I don't understand. Many people don't know, but melatonin is actually by prescription only in Europe. And at high dosages, it's actually used as a contraceptive. So I can't think of anything worse for a young female developing body than the introduction of melatonin when it's completely unnecessary. Did you know that most children make four times the amount of melatonin that they need? But if they're not getting morning red light and they're getting blue light exposure till the last second before they go to bed, yep. they're they're shutting off the signals for melatonin. So it, it, it yes and no. So here's what's interesting when you really dig into blue light. It turns out that it, it's dependent upon the amount of exposure of blue light during the day as to how big it of an effect it has on melatonin production at night. So the rods and cones in your eye, if they have not been exposed to blue light during the day, will have a much bigger uh, exposure and it'll have a bigger effect at night mm. versus if you've had blue light exposure during the daytime, your eye has been able to adapt to that and it slowly starts to change a little bit there. So it gets kind of interesting. And by the way, talking about kids, there is one group of kids where melatonin is appropriate, and that's in children on the autism spectrum. Um, there's been a significant amount of data to show at between three and five milligrams, which is a huge overdose in this specific population, we are seeing some general effectiveness of being able to get them to sleep. I'm not really sure why, and that is that hasn't kind of been an area of study for me, but I, I just want to be clear that Melatonin is not good for kids, except kids in that kind of spectrum. Now, one parent asked me, well, can I give my kid melatonin if I'm flying to Europe and they're coming with me? Absolutely. No problem. I don't have any issues with that. It's, it's the regularity of it that I have a problem with. Number one, it's not really a, the appropriate, but number two, you're teaching your kid that they need a pill to sleep. That's not cool. Okay. No children needs to think that they have to take a pill to go to sleep because no children, that's not the case. Right now, right. I also want to be fair. There are kids out there who have ADD and are taking Adderall during the day. Will they require something at night? In many cases, they will. That's because they're taking a medication for another situation that's now going to be affecting their sleep. So I'm not against pills. I'm not even against melatonin. But what I am is the appropriateness of the dose, the timing, and, the, and putting the right thing with the right kid and or person. I think that's really where it's important. We didn't get a chance to talk about your stretch, shake, bounce, build, and balance. And maybe we'll save that for next time because sure. it's really neat. And I love how you peppered it through the entire day. So yeah. it's not like, oh, I got my workout today. 
okay, you had one 30 minute workout and you're done. You can just sit on your butt the rest of the day. Like, no, no. you need to pepper it through the entire time. And I think this was the first time I've heard anyone suggest working on balance before going to bed. Is there, yeah. just so we can talk about it for that one last thing, sure. and mm-hmm. then I'll, I'll give you a chance to let us know where we can find more about you um, before we wrap up, but why balance before bed? Sure. So what we're talking about for folks out there is my fourth book was called Energize, Go From Dragging Ass to Kicking It in 30 Days, where we added movement and intermittent fasting to our chronotypes to really round out the entire day and give people energy all day long. And so what, James, you're talking about is this movement schedule. Now, I want to be clear. This isn't an exercise schedule. This is a movement schedule because sitting is the new smoking, okay? Like sedentary life is not good for anyone. We want people up, active, and moving around. But you don't have to break a sweat to do it. So what we did was we created this thing called the five by five, which are five different times a day where you spend five minutes to do something. And so one of them is a stretch, one of them is a bounce, one of them is a build. The last one of the day is a balance. And I'll tell you why we chose balance at the end of the day. What we do is we ask people to do something like a tree pose or savasana or some type of a meditative yogic expression because it centers them towards the end of the day Mm. and it slows them down towards the end of the day. And I've got to get people slowing down before bed because so many people are moving, 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 and then boom, go to sleep really quickly. So this is one way to slow them down, get them to be more reflective internally. Because when you're doing tree pose, you can't think of shit but tree pose, okay? <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but when I'm standing there with one leg and one leg sticking out, I'm like, okay. I did like, it before the podcast. I was out in the, the living room doing tree maybe. pose just to make sure I was ready. And yeah, you you can't be you know thinking about everything else. <laughs> And that, and that's the goal is we, we want to try to remove people's brains from the equation because honestly, that's 90% of the problem. Yeah, that makes sense. And that we didn't even get into breath work and so many other parts that play into oh, yeah. this. There's so much that goes into falling asleep at night that is more than just laying down in bed. Truly, from reading this book and just from what I know about sleep, falling asleep at night starts the second you wake up. It does. And it's, it's, that's very important to know. And, and people, like, I, I always say, you know, people use sleep as the shock absorber of their life, you know? So it's like, oh, I'm, I'm really stressed out because of work. I just won't sleep and I'll do more work, thinking that that's actually going to produce better work product, which, of course, it, it never does, right? Or people are saying, you know, something along the lines of, oh, I'm super exhausted. I'm going to get in bed early instead of at my normal bedtime. Again, bad idea. So it's like really thinking through your strategy starting when you wake up really leads to a better night's rest. And so, you know, again, you, you need some runway to land the plane, as I tell people. <laughs> yep. So you really got to give yourself some time and thinking about caffeine, thinking about alcohol, thinking about, you know, timing of exercise, timing of meals, it all has an effect and it doesn't have to be complicated, right? I mean, honestly, go to chronoquiz.com, check out that part, I'm going to email you back and with your results and I'll tell you what time to go to bed. I'll even tell you about coffee, tell you a little bit about alcohol. Um, and you'll start to see the patterns that you can then adapt and see how it works for you. Um, the best part about the whole thing is um, we've been very lucky. Um, a lot of people have really gotten into this. We have some people that actually chronotype their entire companies and change the meeting schedules 
right? For creativity in the afternoon, because who wants to be creative at seven o'clock in the morning, that kind of stuff. And so it's really a valuable tool set. Um, so I would encourage people, if they can, check out The Power of When. Um, and if you if you want to see my newest book, that's called Energize. But if you just want to learn a ton about sleep, I'm super easy to find. You can find me on thesleepdoctor.com. And I actually have that handle on all the socials. So Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, believe it or not, we're now on TikTok. Got some fun things going on there. Uh, YouTube, you name it, we're giving people great information. Yeah, the content's great. And I love on your website how it's organized by your need and in so many different categories. It's intuitive. You go there and you can get answers to your questions right away. And there's actually a really good FAQ on there that I can tell a lot of time went into um, yeah. on Google Trends looking for what people are looking for. And yep. it's good stuff on there. And so, and it's all scientifically backed. This isn't just guesswork. This yeah. is based on the science, which I think is the most important part. Yeah, and, and if you end up going to the website, uh, which I would encourage you to do, and you click on any of the articles, you'll see at the end of the article, we have all the references listed. So like, there's no doubt where the science is and sort of where we got it from and how we're reporting it. So we want people to know and understand that it's a trusted resource. Like we spend a lot of time making sure to get it right. Yeah, you did a great job. I really appreciate Thanks. you coming on the chat and I hope you'll come back so we can dig into the, the, the more technical stuff like Apollo and brain tap and breath work. And I mean, there's a lot to this subject. So I'd love for you to come back someday. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'd be happy to. And thank you for mentioning some of my sponsors. They're, they're really interesting, interesting products. And I only work with products that have real data behind them. So it's a lot of fun. But yeah, we'll talk about it next time. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sweet dreams. Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the next episode. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. See you next time.